But you put these on YouTube. You have more subscribers than I do. You've got like 150 or so. Well, I like the video format because it gives people something to watch. I like that you're doing that. Yeah, I, I like it, but I get hundreds, 500, 700 sometimes on Twitter. But I, there's something with YouTube's algorithm. I'm, I'm convinced mm. of it, that it downplays podcast content, even though it's not podcast content. You know, this is actually a conversation. And I change, sure. I change angles and things like that, but I'm, I'm sure it downgrades it. I listen to a lot of YouTube podcast shows like the Lex Fridman show, and he has a pretty big audience, but I think the, well, doesn't the algorithm cater towards specific like genres or categories or subject? And, and doesn't it matter that like the longer the video, isn't it like if you make a video that's longer than 10 minutes, there's a higher chance of it being put into that category. I don't know the specifics of it, but it doesn't it favor longer form content or it should that way people aren't, um, uh, incentivized to make like TikTok style videos that are two seconds long without yeah. any substance. I've heard that. Anyway, we're going to go live. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Hello. What's up, Greg? Did you record that that music all on your own? Was that you? Yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm a master <laughs> musician as as well as everything else. I recorded that I'm whole impressed. piece. No. You do everything yourself and you do the music as well. I'm very much impressed. <laughs> I wish I you did. No, I just I got it off I can't even remember what site. Some royalty free music site. Um I, I, I get a bunch of music off it. I think it might have been Epidemic Sounds or something like that. I for various podcasts. I prefer that yeah. one. They've got really, those are the best ones. Yeah, they've got really nice sounding stuff. I've noticed you've got an office mug. Good choice. I'm just watching it at the minute, actually. Well, rewatching. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm a fan of like the first seven seasons, and then after that, it just stopped. Started to suck. So stop after like season seven if you haven't seen it before. <laughs> That's my advice. I'm at season five at the minute, okay. I think, and it's still good. Yes, it is. Until you get to season seven, I've only watched it once. I'm not like this big crazy office. Uh, fanboy, but I do enjoy the show. Yes, I do. I do like it enough to buy a mug and drink out of it. Uh, Flow State Coffee, by the way. That's the only. I promise, it's the only time I'll shoehorn in the Flow State sponsor <laughs> at this this point. Just once, Flow State Coffee's in here. Shout out to Greg. I, I know. I know you talk about it all the time. I guess it's your coffee brand, right? Uh yeah. I pretend to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, like. Yeah, I really enjoy coffee, but I really enjoy flavors. I like flavors that can be found in different beverages, flavor notes. Like you don't have to just be a coffee or a wine or a tea snob to appreciate the intricacies of flavor. And the flavors that I enjoy in coffee are also the flavors that I enjoy in tea and in wine, which are, I don't know, woody flavors, like herbal flavor, darker flavors. I'm a big fan of like super dark chocolate. So for me, and I give my girlfriend so much crap because she drinks um, coffee with sugar and I'm trying to get her to drink coffee plain like a real adult should. I give her so much crap for it. Uh, but it's kind of become this inside joke with us. And sometimes I'll indulge in the Frappuccino, uh, the sugary canned coffee or whatever. Uh, actually, yesterday I had a blueberry coffee. It tasted just like blueberries. It was delicious. Like I go out for food. I seek food that people think is strange and weird, like blueberry coffee. Ew. 
why is putting blueberry in coffee or sushi with bananas on it? I've had sushi with bananas on it. That was delicious. Wow. So that, that does drink from all sources and enjoy the different flavors of life. So what, so what's the weirdest combination you've put together or that had put together I for you? That's been put together for me, uh, food or drink. I've got a lot for drink, Ooh, wow. probably more for drink than for food. Go on then drink first. Okay. There was a bottle of habanero wheat beer from one of my favorite beer brands, Shock Top. They produce this great Belgian white. They're a really popular brand. I've, I've had Shock Top Four before. Years, yeah, Shock Top's great, right? Yeah. Four years ago, they put out this beer, this habanero wheat beer. Okay, I bought some, drank it. It it was, well, obviously it was spicy. And yeah. I'm, I'm a, I like spicy food, but there is a boundary that you do not cross. Like who wants to, it's like drinking a bottle of hot sauce. So I drank this thing and it was terrible. And I went back to the grocery store like a week later and it wasn't there. Well, not surprised. That was weird. That was weird in a very, in a very, very bad way. I'll give you weird in a good way. About a month ago, I went to this pizza shop down here in San Diego and they had a lager with green tea. Delicious. What green tea in a beer? This is so gross. Like I've seen matcha green tea IPAs. That stuff's delicious as well. So there's weird in a bad way and weird in a good way. But did it both taste like lager and green tea? Or was yes. it just, yes? At the same time, yes. It was perfectly <laughs> balanced. There's an artistry to it. If you've got a weird flavor, you got to balance it with what the thing actually is. You don't want it to taste too much like a lager because then it's like, well, where's the damn green tea? Why don't I spend $20 on this weird trendy beer? Where's the, give me the weird flavor. And then you don't want it to be too much green tea because then it's just overbearing and people get really uh, put off by it. So there's a balance to it. I agree. I remember the first time I went to, I used to not be a big fan of beer at all. I used to exclusively, when I was like 18, I used to exclusively drink cider, flavored ciders, because they, oh, they taste nice. Yeah. And I hated beer. And I went to like a, a craft ale bar for the first time, and they had hundreds of choices all, all on the wall. And I, I love it. And I picked this banana beer. I was like, I'm, Ooh, see, I, that's just like lights me up. Banana beer. I'm like, I gotta try yeah, that. <laughs> I, I, I just went straight in. I went for the weirdest thing I could see banana beer and it was delicious. Um, Thank I think, you. I think it might've been <laughs> banana bread beer. In fact, if I remember right. Yes. Yes. I've had that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it was strawberry beer and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I, I agree. That kind of brings me to the question that I want to ask first, in terms of balancing flavors, first of all, congratulations on your 50th podcast episode. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. And Thank you. When, you saw, when you said that, you said something that really intrigued me, and this talks about balance. You said you take the word guest and host seriously. What, what did you mean by that? When I have somebody on the podcast... I don't want them to think that I'm out for a, Hey, just come on and say these three witty things and I'll chop it up and I'll get a billion hits on YouTube or TikTok or whatever. And it'll be really snappy and it'll just be this really condensed thing. I tweeted this out earlier, actually, if you want to host a really good conversational podcast, you have to be able to turn two hours into 20 minutes, not by editing and not by cutting things out, but by being engaged by doing what you and I are doing. Yeah. We cross paths and we have these shared interests, but you and I were actually talking about this on my show too, about how you could actually have a very interesting conversation with somebody 
that you think, or maybe your ego is trying to convince you that you're not interested in. Mm. I'll be honest. I've, I've done the public invitation thing to my show. And I thought, well, some people might invite themselves onto my show that I might think that I'm not interested in. All of that has just been completely dismantled. Once I start the conversation, I'd be, and it's like, oh, wait, Paul, stop. You're, you're being an ass. Just listen to the person talk. You can learn so much from people. Like everybody knows something that you don't, right? It's not my little nugget of wisdom. Um, forget who says that, but that's true. So to answer the question, how do you take the guest or why do I take the words guest and host seriously? It's, it's because it's your job as a host of a podcast or even just the host of a conversation or somebody who's having a conversation to be engaged, to be present, to just bask in the joy that you're talking to this human being who has had a completely different experience of life than you have had. And that's what makes it so beautiful. And like I said earlier, there's overlaps. Like we all kind of have like a Venn diagram overlap, like certain people have experienced the same things you have, Mm. but like the makeup and the DNA of their experience of life is so different than yours. That's what makes it so interesting. And we should be celebrating that. So I invite somebody onto my show. I want them to know that like, I'll listen to you and I'll, I'll just ask whatever comes to mind. Hopefully it's not too stupid and not too, I mean, too stupid in like a, a, a rude way. Like you have to kind of accept that you're going to be stupid and ignorant when you talk to somebody. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, I don't know these things. I want to figure these things out. So the highest compliment to me is, dude, you made those two hours seem like 20 minutes. Well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. So treat them as if they're coming into your house and set the table for them and make them feel welcome, even and especially if there's disagreements. I love a good disagreement. I think if you can foster that and say like, like when people disagree with you, thank God for that, because that means you're not so tied to this bubble this like a uh, subject bubble where you're allowing people to actually talk about things that don't really fit into your worldview and you want to figure those things out it's super fascinating to me so that's why that's why i take guests and hosts seriously I, that's actually my first disagreement but because but maybe it's not a disagreement now i've heard you talk about it mm-hmm. because you you mentioned guest and host and when i read that i i was like instantly repulsed I thought, really? Oh, wow. I don't see it as a guest host situation. I see mm. it as just two people having a conversation. And it, it's it's the way I always try and make these these episodes that it isn't, it's the thing I hate the most. We spoke a, a little bit about this on your podcast. It's the thing I hate the most in podcasting where it's question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, question, yeah. answer, question, answer. And you, you feel like you're in a, I was going to say you feel like you're in a Larry King interview, but no, that that's not it at all. Because Larry King's really good at it. it yep. You just you feel like you're in one of those crappy morning breakfast interviews where the person has been invited on the the host does not know who the person is, and they're just asking from a list of questions. Well, that they don't know who the person is to me means that they're not taking host seriously. So I agree with you in that we should be taking the, like, we should, we should be having a conversation, not just a Q&A session or a job interview. I really try to shy away from using the word interview to describe my show. So, yeah, I agree with like the philosophy, but I still think that it's important to have more of like a, uh, 
a respect for the like the interplay of the host and the guest because yeah i think i do you think that you don't like the guest and host thing because it sounds or feels too much like a follow the leader mentality or you only expect the host to just ask questions and not have like follow-up statements or tangents is that sort of thing do i have that right yeah yeah i i like it when we're having a conversation and well you've asked me a question and i'm answering it that it's not always the one-way conversation it's not always right well i want to talk about this thing next i'm going to cut you off mid conversation right now and i'm going to move on to the next thing i want to talk about that that's the kind of thing i think when i think host guest that that's what's in my head well i love it when my guests ask me questions i i love it so much and i wish i wish it happened more yeah i think it delights me because then it's like oh great we're not playing the q a game yeah they're open to asking me questions and now the tables are kind of reversed and the dynamic changes and it feels more real. So it shouldn't always just be question and ask. So it's interesting how we have these, we're trying to get at like a shared love of conversations, but we're also expressing our disagreements towards what we don't like in a podcast from different angles. Cause we both agree that, the dynamic should be different each time and that it shouldn't just be a Q and a thing. Mm. And then I'm coming at this saying that, well, re- respect, I think what it is is just like a respect for, and, and kind of like a playfulness too, to the dynamic of a conversation. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I think it's just, it's, it's my personal hangups. It's that so many podcasts are like that. Uh, even I, I was listening to a podcast by a guy called James O'Brien He's he's a UK talk radio host, um, pretty good on the radio. I enjoy listening to his show, but he, his interview format, he gets really interesting people on there, but it is an interview. And I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a thing because they're famous that he feels like it needs to be an interview because that's what they expect. And that that's something I always try and carefully balance no matter who's on the podcast, I treat them the same. It isn't, you're not, you're not going to become uh, a superstar. I'm not going to treat you like a superstar. I'm going to do the same thing I do with everybody. And I think that's maybe where some of the dynamic comes from sometimes that it, what, what most people do when they, they do, uh, I agree the interview thing, that's the problem. First of all, calling it an interview, but I think a lot of people, this is a problem with a lot of podcasting that people see how it's been done on radio or on TV and they try and copy the format in a podcast and it's not right. Hmm. What I think makes a podcast really special that isn't what I get from what you're describing, these TV, these radio shows, is a conversation should make... I'll use guest and host. I'll use those words again, just because they're so uh, kind of local to me. Like it should keep people in, in good company. I like listening to the conversational podcasts that I listen to because I feel like I'm a kind of like a fly on the wall. Like I'm there and I'm participating in this conversation. I'm not in the conversation, but I'm listening to these two minds interact with each other. Mm-hmm. There's like a, there's a humanity to it. Why I don't, I don't, 
edit my show very heavily. I leave all the ums and ahs in. I leave all the blank spaces because that's what a conversation sounds like. I think there's a beauty to the imperfection of human speech. I think that podcasts, there's a danger to trying to polish it up. I think when you host a podcast, you get too caught up in all the editing and all the, oh, I got to cut out all this stuff. Yeah, you can. There is a fine line. I get it if you're like a business, if you're like a business, trying to do like a business podcast, but if you're just an individual and you want to record interesting discussions with people, well, just leave the discussion part in, right? It's a discussion. Why are we cutting stuff out? And if you want to cut stuff out, just practice not saying um and like or whatever all the time, or just don't even care. Just leave it all in. So I try to maintain this humanistic aspect in my show and people seem to like it both on the audience and the uh, the guests and just for me too i think everybody benefits mm. i don't have to worry about chopping things out because i've already accepted that i'm not going to do that and there's always trade-offs with this right like it's a long-term game by not cutting out the ums and ahs and going from two hours literally to a half an hour podcast there's trade-offs because it's like well less people are going to listen to a two-hour conversation, more people want the 20-minute one. But at the same time, that's not necessarily true because long-form podcasts are immensely popular right now. Mm. I, I think I think they're really popular because people, well, at the core, we're all human and we want to listen to conversations. Um, yeah. There's, there's like this weird cutoff point where you edit it too much and it doesn't become a conversation anymore because there's... There's this, if, if you sped up a conversation, a natural conversation, there's a cadence to it. Uh, yes. And, and that cadence is different in every single conversation. But when you edit down a podcast, what you're really doing is making the cadence the same across every single conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, it's no. like if every song on the album had the same BPM, the same rhythm, it would yeah. suck. You would get bored of it. An album has songs that have diff that have a variety of rhythms, right? Track one is like 160 beats per minute, and track two is a little slower because track one was very fast. The same thing with a podcast. When you're having a discussion with somebody, it's a meeting of personalities. And we're we're trying to like figure out what if the person that we're speaking to is engaged and where things are going. And cadence is a really good way of talking about it. I don't want to discredit the work, the hard work of podcast editors. I People do that and they make a living out of it. But I think you should be really careful with it. Like consider what it is you're doing. Don't say, well, I'm a podcast editor. I'm just going to destroy the beauty of human conversations. Um, I think, I think it, it depends on what your goal is, doesn't it? If, for example, Blake Amal's podcast, I usually call him Blake Email, so he gets annoyed. Um, Blake Emails podcast, uh, how how I built my audience, heavily edited, down to about twenty minutes every episode. But that's the whole mm -hmm. point: is value, 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 value. There, sure. You're not really there sure. to listen to the conversation. You're there to listen to the sound bites of the person that's coming on it in twenty minutes. That's fine if you understand that that's the point. Mm -hmm. But for other podcasts, like like yours and mine really my goal of this entire podcast is for somebody to just find it 
and just listen and just enjoy being, I call it the third person in the room. Just yeah. enjoy being the third person in the room and just listening to, well, whatever the fuck we choose to talk about. It isn't, um, there is value there, but it, sometimes I hate the word value, but the value is different. <laughs> the value is different. They're coming to the podcast for a different reason. You cannot get these kind of conversations anywhere else but podcasting. Uh, Joe Rogan started it a long time ago, and and it, and it there there still isn't really that I've experienced that many podcasts that so heavily go down this route. And probably what you find as well as I find, people seem to enjoy them, uh, and I enjoy having the conversations as well. What what I really enjoy about it, I don't know if you feel the same. What I really enjoy about it is that. I'm experiencing this conversation in real time as well as the listener. And I think there's there's uh, there's some kind of magic there. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what it is, but I think people can sense that, that when they listen to the words, they listen to the words that I just said, they're experiencing it in this, at the same time as you. I think there's something quite special about that. I completely agree. I see these conversations as a gift to the audience. I mean, we're at the tail end, hopefully, of a pandemic here. And if people want to remember what it was like to have a conversation, at least over Zoom, I want to do these in real life. I'll make a conversation, I'll record it and say, well, here's a conversation that you can sort of participate in if you want to experience human interaction again. No cuts, no edits, just a raw conversation about subjects that you might or might not be interested in. That's the way I see it. Have you always have you always had this passion for conversations, even before podcasts? I've always had this passion for talking. I was always getting in trouble in school, dude, for talking when I wasn't supposed to, which was all the time. I was disruptive. The word that was used just to describe me most from my teachers growing up was disruptive. Paul is disruptive, disrupting class. Gets. I was constantly sent out of class because I was so damn disruptive. Uh, all I wanted to do was. Um, poke fun or make witty remarks about anything that came to mind. Well, when I'm at father, family gatherings, I do this. I, I like to play the role of, well, I used to play the role of class clown in school, obviously, because I was disruptive, but at family gatherings with my family or my girlfriend's family, I really enjoy taking sort of a quasi backseat <laughs> position in the conversation and let other people talk. And then out of nowhere, notice something that I think is funny, say it, and then see if anybody laughs. And if they do, everybody has a great time. I like that. I, I love doing that. I, was, I think it was just something I was born with. So I've always had a passion with, uh, with words, with talking, and just shooting the shit, I suppose. <laughs> Did you ever do anything like get into debating or anything like that? I took a debate class in college about two semesters ago, had a wonderful teacher, and I actually do believe that debate should be taught in all schools. Uh, I don't know what grade, maybe high school. I think it should also be taught from birth, from birth. From <laughs> yeah, well, the art of arguing, the art of debating, but but not to just score points though, but to to kind of come to to teach kids, young adults, and hell, even adults, everybody can benefit from this, from exposing themselves to opposing viewpoints, not to gain points, literally, like I, I understand that debate 
there's debate competitions, and the point of a debate competition is to get better at coming up with philosophical arguments against uh, the viewpoints and to actually construct a counter argument that's opposed to the viewpoint that you're trying to defend. And so why I'm saying that is because the debate teacher that I had actually invited me on to the debate team or the debate club and he wanted me to join their club. He thought I'd be really good at it. And I didn't join because I was turned off by the, I guess, gamification aspect to it. This is something I haven't really been able to contend with or resolve. I appreciate the gamification of debate. It's kind of like this uh, proxy for developing one's skills at debate but it didn't really fit my perhaps flawed viewpoint of what debate is, something that shouldn't necessarily be gamed, but something that, sh it's kind of like an art form. I really like watching people disagree with one another, but not people trying to just shun the other person or defeat the other person, which Wait. obviously can happen if, if there's a debate involved, but no, um, I never joined it, but it is something that I think is really useful to learn. We... We don't really have that in the UK debate club, as as such. It isn't a formal thing taught at school. the mm. The reason I asked is because when I got to college, just after high school, not university, uh, I I signed up for sociology. So I did sociology as as one of my classes, mm. and that entire class was pretty much debating. But there was it was never formally graded or anything. You were discussing the philosophies of how the world worked. Basically, I didn't know anything about it, but it was it was fun because the the whole sociology class was basically presenting a point. You know, it, it might might be do you do you believe um, that these people li living in this particular way is right? And then he, he just let everybody go off and have a conversation about it. No, that was kind of one of the first places that I got exposed to conversations but another thing that I used to do as well I've done for a very long time is have conversations with people who are way older than me even when I was uh, in my teenage years I used to have conversations with 40 50 year olds I used to enjoy their conversations with them more than anybody else I, I don't know if anything like that happened to you I've had wonderful conversations with people way older than me um, I mean, I'm 12, so that's not, <laughs> I know, or at least I look like it. <laughs> <laughs> I had a conversation um, with a gentleman on my show, it's unreleased, recently, that ended up being two hours long. We talked about economics and finance. Oh my God, dude, I learned so much. It was wonderful. It was absolutely, he was one of the most articulate, well-spoken, patient individuals I have ever met. And there was so much value in the conversation. Like I was learning in real time. That's another thing that makes podcasting conversations so beautiful. You learn in real time and they learn in real time too. Mm. I mean, you have to be able to subdue your ego to that. Like, okay, we're going to learn something here. We're going to look stupid for two hours. Great. So be it. What I'm That's what's required. What I'm getting at with the, uh, you know, the formative years with you specifically is that you said you were a class clown, so I would have expected your YouTube videos to be class clown type YouTube videos, but instead you went for what I consider to be the hard way around, you know, recording a podcast, recording long-form conversations. It's probably the most difficult kind of podcast to do, really, 
in in terms of time in t- in terms of organizing and all that kind of thing it'd be much easier for you to do skits funny skits or yeah. whatever yeah yeah, uh, I've done a few. I've done a few. I made a parody video of Seth Godin, which I love. <laughs> I think it's fantastic because it's the only parody of Seth Godin I can find on the internet because I've listened to so many episodes of his podcast. <laughs> well, you said it's one of the hardest things to do, which is, well, I've, I guess I could say I've matured since then. I think, okay, so I think by doing this podcast and doing the content that I put out, I'm coming back to who or how I was when I was that age, but more uh, with more maturity, I would say more patience. Like I'm not going to disrupt you while you're speaking. I might've done that when I was 12. (laughs) I was, I had like the qualities of the class clown or the archetypes of the class clown when I was 12 without the useful domestication of maturity. Does that make sense? Yeah, it comes with age. Like if you can tame it, I don't want to just be blatantly humorous just for the sake of trying to gain attention. There's just so much stuff about the world that I want to learn. Mm. And I think humor, a spontaneous spontaneity kind of geared humor at least helps me stop myself from taking myself so seriously because we think, Oh, you know, I'm going to read all these books. I've got all these books behind me. I'm going to be Mr. Serious guy. And I tried to do that for a while. (laughs) And looking back, I realized there was like half of my soul that was missing. And the half of my soul that was missing was this lighthearted appreciation towards life. And actually, if I think of the stuff that I enjoy reading about today, it makes no goddamn sense. I don't understand who I am. It makes no sense. The stuff that I read and the things that I talk about and the humor that I appreciate, it makes no sense whatsoever. I don't understand. I'm an enigma to myself. And I, I don't even mean that like to talk from a high horse. I don't get it. People are so strange, myself included. I, I, w- I was actually going to ask you ask you that. How, how do I describe you? Are you a, a podcaster, a writer, a, a blogger? I don't know. As my own PR agency, I have no idea how to answer that question. We're supposed to be able to answer that, right? How do we market ourselves? I don't know. What's your label? What, what is the label that's attached to Paul? Label? Oh, God. I hope we don't... Uh, labels. Why do we even have to have labels? I just... <laughs> I, I, I make these things to show at least maybe one person out there that this is possible, that you can learn something and be the best version of yourself at the same time. I think a uh, label, I don't know, person who can't stop talking. I mean, my girlfriend told me recently that it doesn't seem like I ever get bored. Yeah. And these days, no, it's very hard for me to become so bored that I don't know what to do with my time. I actually spent um, quite a long time aimless uh, and depression followed from that aimlessness back when I was about 20, 19, 18. Yeah. After, after I graduated high school, it was very aimless. I didn't really know what to do with my life. I kind of thought what I wanted to do and then ended up wasting money on programs that I wasn't really interested in um, educational programs. I was trying to get into audio editing actually for a while. And that's a separate story that, program kind of imploded in on itself, but I was convinced that I wanted to become a studio audio editor, Mm. but I didn't have the, a 
appreciation for responsibility or the appreciation for discipline, which is helping me kind of coincide with my um, joy and appreciation for humor and the spontaneous spontaneity to it all. I, I didn't have that at all. So somebody, I guess, label is like, hey, this is possible. If you're going through some dark stuff, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And it took me years and years and years of reading all the damn Tony Robbins books and the whole typical self-help phase and realizing, okay, well, I can do this. You know, I can take actions today to make my life better. So I, I think I'm still at step one of like a thousand. So what, what was the, what was the main thing that you felt like was the first step away from how you felt? Was it a book or was it something you saw or? There's so much to unravel. Um, the first thing was frustration. Frustration at the aimlessness itself. Mm. And I guess you could call it a calling. I got this um, kind of, I mean, thank God that I had this calling because I think if I never did, I'd still be in that place today. And I want to be really careful talking about these things because I do also get kind of turned off by an over glorification of, of, of aimlessness and nihilism and, and like almost the journey out of it too. Like it's going to be hard. The journey out of darkness is always, always difficult. And just because I've made it out doesn't mean that it's, it's easy. It's like, oh, I made it out. Everything's great. Everything in my life is perfect. Wrong. What I think gets you out of that darkness and what I think to answer that question that you asked me was cultivating an appreciation for, for work, for discipline and accountability and responsibility. Yeah. I had the amount of freedom that I had after I graduated high school self-imposed because I wasn't actually giving myself responsibility was what was keeping me stuck. I remember just like walking around the neighborhood that I lived in years ago, having absolutely nothing to do. And you would think, oh, that's great. You have nothing to do. You can just walk around all day and have no responsibility. But that's why I was so unhappy. I'm so damn happy today, Craig, because I have things to do. And I've realized that I am that I am the kind of person, like I should take care of myself because of that, because I can give people good things, whatever that manifests itself to be. I didn't know that four years ago. And that wasn't even in those books that I was reading too. It was always like, you can do, you, you know, you can smile and all these affirmations. And sure, I don't want to be too pessimistic about that, but it took a long time to realize that, that you can be happy because you have things to do, meaningful things to do, work to be done, people to make better to make them smile to make them laugh purpose. to make them learn something new that's yeah, purpose right that's that's how so that's my way of condensing the kind of four-year up and down journey of that i i i've i don't want to uh stay on the point for too long but think when i whenever i felt down i've never suffered from depression but i've been in in and out of burnout anxiety sure. all those kind of things uh, and the the running thread through those situations as has always been the lack of things to do or my self-imposed uh, 
way out was to do less things, which resulted in me being even more unhappy. So when whenever I've done the reverse, which is do everything all of the time, I, I I'm never I'm never sad. I'm I'm not sad right now. I've got energy for days. I could yeah. record this podcast and go do ten more straight afterwards, and that's because I've got things to do because I've got a purpose. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And then people ask you, Craig. I'm sure they ask you all the time. How do you do it? How do you put out so much stuff? Well, the stuff that you put out gives you energy. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's all all about energy, and the only way you create energy is by doing things that give you energy. And well, that's exactly what the gentleman told me on my podcast, Stephen Wilkinson. I'll just say his name; he's fine. <laughs> he told me that you need energy-producing interests, mm. interests that give you energy. Yeah, seems obvious, but I didn't know that five years ago. Never would have occurred to me. I, I for me. Uh, and I, I'm I'm really bullish on this point as well. It's creativity. It's finding something that you can make. Does it, it doesn't matter what it is. It, it the value of it doesn't matter. Whether it's got an audience or not doesn't matter. But as long as you are creating something that you get to call your own, that you get to put out in whatever way that you choose to put it out, it makes you happier and it gives you energy. Doesn't matter what that is. And I think for for that, for me, when, when I mention purpose, that's really what I mean about purpose. Purpose is not a higher calling for me in any way. The majority of the things I do are just bullshit. They, 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 they wouldn't matter if they wasn't there anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but I do them because it, it makes, selfishly, it makes me happy and gives me energy. Hopefully some other people will enjoy them too. But yeah, well, higher calling. It's like what I call making thumbnails for YouTube videos, my, my higher, because we think higher calling is like this spiritual quest where you're doing like Mother Teresa type stuff. My higher calling is like having podcasts and making thumbnails, like really boring stuff, you know, like, like timestamps on podcast episodes and writing blog posts every day, that sort of thing. Yeah, That's like my quote unquote higher calling, but it's it's boring to like 99.9% of the population. But to me, it gives me energy because I don't know the specific outcome of it. Cause if I did, well, why bother? We can't predict the future. Thank God for that. Cause if we did, we wouldn't do anything. I don't know the specific outcome, but I know that there will be an outcome and that I know that there will be an outcome is why I do it. That's why I think you do it too. Cause something good can come out of it. So I've already experienced the damn aimless, boring nihilism side of life. And that was horrible. And so now I just want to go full throttle on proactive creativity. What I mean by proactive is, well, energy giving interests. I don't ever feel like I'm trying really hard when I make these things. Like I got to work really fast. I only work to the speed that I'm just used to working at. Mm. And I think this point that we're discussing here right now is the thing that all of those, well, the majority of those self-development books miss, right? They 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 focus on your mindset, or they, they focus on a good a good schedule, or they, they focus on waking up early on a morning, or they focus on getting eight hours of sleep. They never focus on the thing that's really the most important, which is finding a thing that you love doing and doing it as much as possible. And the the only books I can think of really that focus on those kind of things is is like things that Austin Cleon does, 
but the the majority of the the self improvement books they're way too serious. They're way too serious about the wrong things. Do you well? Do you love every single aspect of the things that you create? And think of the most minute, tiny, essential elements, boring as they are, but necessary. I'll give you an example. I don't love doing the timestamps on my podcast. I don't necessarily love coming up with the titles and creating like pre-written um, formats for each blog. They're getting really nitty gritty here. Each blog post, podcast post, yeah. and then the titles and then how I title them with the name and the two dashes and the, the hashtag episode 50 and then the go into Canva and, and design a thumbnail. I don't really love it, but it's part of the thing that I do love. So I think that you find something that you love and you really find out if you love it, if you can tolerate the parts of it that you that aren't fun. Mm. Like you can get into like, I don't know, biology, you like you love animals, but you're gonna have to write some damn research papers and that's gonna be demanding, cognitively demanding. It's gonna be rough. And that whole system is designed to separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, because it's just like, oh my God, I gotta write papers. I love animals, I love biology, but now I have to do something boring. If you can tolerate that stuff, that's I think a true testament to something that you love. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think when I say find something that you love doing and then do it as much as possible, you know, it's the age-old cliche, find find a passion. How do you go about finding a passion? That's the, people say find your passion all the time. But I think the only way you do, you find your passion is by doing a load of things that you, uh, you don't necessarily enjoy doing and yeah. figuring out from those things that you've done, Oh, I like I like this little bit of this thing that I've done. I like this other little bit of this thing that I've done. Maybe I do this one instead of that one or whatever. It's it's a discovery process. But to to your point about not enjoying every part of what you do, yeah, absolutely. There's there's elements of things that that I do that I don't enjoy. It's always the case. But hopefully, I enjoy the end product. Yeah, and I, and I, I think. Equally, the the bad bits and the good bits, they're all part of the same process, right? It isn't about enjoying it all. Yeah, I'm not smiling every second of the day when I'm doing the work that I do. Like, I'm not sitting there waiting for a video to render, sitting there and smiling like, oh, man, I love rendering videos. I love uh, coming up with titles for blog posts. I love, I love all this mute, boring stuff. Derek Sivers has this really great blog post too, exactly about this point. He says that he's not necessarily happy as we know it when he's building something, when he's writing code or building a company, but he's happy with the end product. I had, um, to, I guess to underscore that point, I had a wonderful day yesterday with my girlfriend, no tech away from my phone. And the reason why is because I was able to get a lot of stuff done the day before. That way I don't have to think about it. And that made me happy. It's like, okay, great. I can enjoy this time off and be happy in my time off, not thinking, oh, I don't deserve this. Well, I was happy to have gotten it done. You got to get things done, I think, to appreciate, well, great. It's not, I, I, it's out of my life. It's squared away. It's done. I can enjoy this time off guilt-free. So I'm always looking for that too. Do you notice, do you notice that at all? Yeah, yeah. It's it's about contrast, isn't it? You need, you need yeah. to... To enjoy the downtime, you need to be, 
you need to have an up time to to enjoy the time when you're not doing anything you need to spend periods of time working really hard that that's the the only way it works i absolutely i feel the same i don't relax that often i don't sit in front of the tv and and, and not do things very often um but a lot of the other things a lot of the things that people would consider the things that I do as work and not work to me. They're, they're fun, they're, they're enjoyment, or they're a hobby or, or whatever. But yeah, you mu- you much prefer everything looks greener when you go walk around the countryside when you know you've put in day of work the day before yeah. it, rather than knowing that you've got to go back and do loads more work. Yeah, and I think also meaningful challenge. Like what is what do most people want? Like most people want to know that they're able to solve useful problems or they're actually able to handle useful challenges and they, they turn those challenges into sources of like self-perpetuating motivation. Like I know I can solve these problems. I know that the work that I'm putting in today is going to lead to something meaningful too. I've been thinking a lot about that as well. Like how can I use the skills that I have that I'm developing in a way to solve problems for people who get the joke, for people who who want who have problems that would require those skills to solve. Like somebody comes to me and says, hey, can you make a trailer? Okay, to me that translates to, hey, Paul has these skills that can be used for these responsibilities. Responsibilities because there's going to be a deadline and you're going to have to communicate with people mm-hmm. and articulate what this project is going to be about. And to, with some degree of creative freedom too. So I also approach that approach it from that angle too, like a a challenges based or a skills based perspective as well. Like how can I use these skills to solve problems for people? That way when I'm on my time off, I know, all right, I did good work and I can feel good about it. Now I can just relax. And to me, relaxing is actually just having conversations as well as well. Like yesterday I was just at this wonderful breakfast diner with my girlfriend and we just talked. It was amazing. Highly yeah. recommended. I, I love it. I, I, I can't wait for the whole lockdown thing to end properly so I can oh my God. sit in my garden again and have conversations <sighs> with my friends over a few yeah. beers. Would you, uh, would you ever do IRL podcasts? Do you have a setup for that? Uh, yeah. This whole room was designed to actually have IRL podcasts. So this, it's only been used a few handful of times with a couple of friends, but the whole room, I've got multiple cameras set up. I've got this whole live streaming set up that we've got going on, multiple, as, multiple mics, everything. As That's wonderful, dude. As much as right now, there's not really much of a lag between you and I, there is no lag, obviously, at all in real life. Like, I love Zoom. It's great. We've been able to have conversations with people and interact during the pandemic, but when you have a conversation in real life, there's there's no delay at all, and it's perfect. There's zero latency at all. It's wonderful. Yeah, I, that's that's one of the challenges of having a good conversation with people, isn't it? Especially over Zoom, where yeah. we're we're trying to pick up on little cues and find out what a pause means and and all that kind of thing. And you just you can't do it over Zoom. Uh, I can't. I can't even read your your. I can I can see your face. It's in quite high fidelity, but right. it, it isn't the same, is it? I can't see what your hands are doing. I can't see. No, what, it's not. 
20 years ago, we're going to look back on all these podcasts that were made in 2020 and think, these suck. What? <laughs> Why did all these podcasts in 2020 suck? Oh, it's because there was a pandemic and everybody was recording over Zoom. That's why. <laughs> I think there's, there's some element of... Uh, of of that's of why Joe Rogan's podcast was so good. I'm not a big fan of it anymore, but I think what made why? it. Can I ask why? This is the Spotify thing. I'll get to that in a second, but let me make okay. this point. Okay. Um, I th- I think um the thing that made it so good is that people are in the same room and that there's the energy in in the same room of a conversation in the same room where people are all flowing towards the same thing you can't replicate that over zoom i think we we can have a a good conversation over zoom but it'd be infinitely better if it was in person Uh, yeah we can have a good zoom conversation we can't have a good conversation with a capital c as we would in real life yeah and then why i don't like joe rogan anymore there's there's a few things i I'm not sure it's actually a fault of Joe Rogan, really. Hmm. I think this happens with anybody who makes anything. If you make something for a long period of time, a really long period of time like Joe Rogan, if you're not careful, you end up pandering to what you know does well. Uh, and Basically, what I mean by that is you end up becoming a meme of yourself and you, you become... If you keep doing the thing where you record a good episode with certain people and you do certain things, you get good feedback, then you want to do the same thing again. And over time, you become like this facsimile of yourself over a really long time. And I think Joe Rogan's got to that point now where every episode is, so have you tried DMT? Have you tried weed? Um, It doesn't matter who's on the episode. It could be like really interesting scientists or whatever. The conversation comes back to the same topics every time. Joe wasn't like that. He didn't used to be like that. He used to sit and listen and and just just consume and learn like what what we're doing. But and he still does it sometimes. But a lot of his episodes. He's just getting his meme facsimile personality over. And he's got to mention these things and he's got to be a bit of a knobhead. And it annoys me. So how do you and I avoid this? Because we're on track to episode 3000, as we know. No, really though, though, how do we avoid this? I mean this seriously, because I want to, I hope that I am going to be able to avoid that. I don't want to become a meme of myself. I want to always be evolving. And paying attention to what works like i'm stuck if you pay attention to what works you don't want to lean on that but you don't want to just become the person who does what works 100 of the time yes H- how do you reconcile that i it's a constant internal battle for me on twitter i think twitter is the purest example of it because I, i've seen people so i started taking twitter seriously in february last year we're now in March of 2021, so it's around 12 months-ish. And I've seen people, I've got 4,000 followers now, and I've seen people get way more followers than me in 12 months. And sure. the, the tactics that they use is the thing that I'm describing. They just double down on anything that does well. That's good for building an audience that enjoys one mm. thing that you say. I always fight back against it on twitter 
and it's it's a slower way to build anything it's a slower way to build an audience but people enjoy you in 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 like a 360 degree way when when you battle things like that and you are willing to show more of yourself and be more of yourself Mm. so for me the way that i found it worked because i got sucked into all this when i first started doing twitter and i got sucked into it when i first started podcasting Mm. the the way i do it now is i pretty much do not look at any metrics whatsoever i don't care how many downloads this episode's going to get i don't care how many comments likes whatever i'm going to get and i really don't care what anybody says of of which bits they enjoyed i'm confident enough in my in my own kind of creative pursuit of what i want this to be that Mm. I, i don't need to take anybody's advice on that so so the the thing for me that makes it toxic i think is is the metrics is any metric that you look at because if i were to look back now over my last 20 episodes and think oh everybody listened to my jack butcher episode i need to go get more famous people on my podcast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now the only th- people i'm going to get on my podcast are people with a hundred thousand followers on twitter so glad you brought this up so if i do that all i'm going to do is i'm going to make a successful podcast yeah but it's, it's not going to be the thing that i want it to be i want a conversation with interesting people full stop doesn't matter how yeah, many and f- does does interesting mean ten thousand fault fo- ten bajillion followers no I've had some of the most riveting conversations on my show, dude, with people who have like a hundred followers, 70, 200 followers. Yes. A hundred thousand followers doesn't mean interesting. So I'm glad you brought up the Jack Butcher point and building, um, just trying to explore your own curiosity. So I sometimes people celebrate like the giant dopamine deep overdose of like getting a hundred followers at the same time. I put out a tweet recently that had the Jack Butcher effect and 100,000 people liked it because I was celebrating the fact that I had made $470 or so off of Gumroad. Mm-hmm. And I had followed Jack Butcher's advice to make a dollar online. It'll change your life. I tweeted at him. He liked the post. So congratulations. And I don't want to be overly pessimistic about this because I want to help sp- promote that idea because i think it's a wonderful idea if done correctly and you don't merely try to chase the money and make money the prime motivation for what it is you're creating and i don't think jack's that kind of person at all which is why i think his idea is cool but i think the people a lot of people who ended up following me from me putting out that tweet thought oh look another money twitter guy hey here's how to make money online thing and so i get worried Maybe not even worried, but I know that like 95% of the people who follow me from those moments are going to unfollow me because I, I don't also don't care because I'm not constantly tweeting about how to make money on Gumroad. I'm tweeting about whatever the fuck it is that I'm talking about today, which is mostly stuff that has nothing to do with making money on Gumroad. It was just a cool idea that I wanted to share and a cool little moment of my life that I wanted to celebrate, um, mostly for people who've been supporting me. So it had the Jack Butcher effect. And I also don't blame or put down Jack Butcher for kind of creating, maybe I don't think he's creating directly that effect, but maybe the byproduct of that is that people kind of don't get the full picture. So I'm also going to have Jack on my show um, in about a week here too. And I would love to explore this with him as well. Like, 
how it is that he kind of handles that, that like um, great power comes great responsibility thing of some people might not fully appreciate the, the, the nuance of creating something you love and making money off of it, but not making money the prime motivator of it. And that if you follow somebody, it's not, it shouldn't just be because they put out one thing you agree with. I actually kind of stalk to some degree the people I'm about to follow that way because I want to see consistency. Like, okay, if they're talking about this thing today that I liked, maybe they're talking about things that I really don't like at all on all the other days. I don't want to follow that. I guess that's why you don't follow me on Twitter, right? <laughs> I don't follow you on Twitter because lists, lists exist. And sometimes they don't even make lists. I just, well, what's Craig up to? I just want to see what, what Craig's up to. Yeah, I've noticed that. People I've had on my show don't follow me. I think you and I would agree that like followers are kind of overrated, but yeah, it's not, <laughs> I don't even follow my own girlfriend on Twitter. And I, she's giving me so much smack for this. Like, I, I'm not going to follow you on Twitter. Why do I have to follow you on Twitter? We're in a relationship. <laughs> I, I say it's a jibe. I don't give a shit if you follow me on Twitter or not. You but, don't? How dare you, Craig? <laughs> follow me on Twitter. But it, it it does bring up an interesting point, though, and uh, there's there's so much nuance to this. There is. Um, how how could I how could I put this? So I I don't think what Jack's doing is completely genuine. I, I love it. Yeah, I completely agree. agree with that. But Jack is not the problem, and the He's way not. the way that Jack tweets is not the problem, and 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 anybody else who tweets like him is not the problem. It's the person who's looking for the information that's the problem. Because what the people are, who are looking for the information are looking for, this is a human problem. They're looking for a quick fix. They're looking for a shortcut. They they see a tweet like the one that you just described. I made my first dollar online. Ooh, he must know how to make some money online. I'll follow him because I'm going to find out the final solution for making money online. And yeah it's it's the person's attitude coming towards it that's the problem and this this is why i i brought up the other the other thing about not caring about metrics because an, an obsession with the metrics it never leads to anywhere good never ever never leads to anywhere good i've followed them tried it several times the only metric mm. that works for me is whether i've done something today or not and trying to keep that streak going as long as possible but any other metric i actually did an, an atomic essay about it i called it it's all for me everything i do it's not for you it's not not for the guest not for somebody reading it it's for me and if you enjoy it cool i love it that you enjoy it and i'll be very appreciative but everything i'm doing is for me and mm. I, I i don't care what you think about that and that's the the only healthy mm. at attitude i can have to creating content or podcasts or even having a business. I, you know, I run my own design agency. Even doing that, it's all for me. Uh, it's the only healthy attitude I can have, which sounds incredibly unhealthy. <laughs> I think though, I think there's an, uh, I think some people might be put off by what you're saying. I get what you're saying, but I also think that we shouldn't ignore the fact that you're actually making i think you're making things for other people that are good because you care about making good things i may i, I think i make things for other people i, I want to make it good for my own sense of you know improvement but i want to make content or 
try not to use the word content so much these days. I want to make podcasts and blog posts and YouTube videos and books to show other people what's possible and to show them like, hey, this is po- you can you can do this. This is something that I made. This is something that you can do. I want to design these things intentionally for that kind of group or, or audience of people. I do think I make it to some extent just for myself, but there's a little bit of that that I make for other people. At what point in the creation process do you start thinking about people? When you're about to publish it? Or is it earlier? Yeah, and then it's like, well, why publish? Because if it was, well, if it was just... Maybe I'll play devil's advocate. If it's just for you, then why publish? Because publishing is still just for me because it's accountability. Mm. It's proof that I've done it. Mm. Yes, when it gets published, that's when it becomes for other people proof Mm. that I've done it, essentially. That's when it becomes useful for other people. But every other point up until that, during the creation process during finalizing it whatever it is editing or making the image or preparing it on youtube or editing a video or whatever all of the stuff 99 percent of the stuff that leads up to it i'm not thinking about the audience i only think about the audience when i'm about to publish it Mm. and at the publishing point there's arguments to say that then it doesn't then it isn't yours anymore it's out in the world sure but the reason I ask that question is, well, if if you are doing it for other people, what when do you start thinking about the other people? Yeah, you stuck me with that. You got me stuck on that. How <laughs> to answer that? <laughs> you, you do it for um, you. You do it for you. Yeah. Well, I see the f- freelance videos and the trailers that I do for the online courses as I do it for me because it's the responsibility that I want to take on. And I do it for them because it's my way of serving that community. I'll make these things for the people at the vanguard of online education because I I see that group. I love that group of people who are making good online courses. I want to serve those people however I can through the skills that I'm developing. So I've also been working on this service-based mindset too. I'll develop my skills. I'll create things for myself as a service to other people, whether or not that's even, that even philosophically makes sense. I don't know. It's been working for me in the last two months, I would say seeing, creating things for myself as a service to other people, as a way to show people that you can do it as well. There's no magic fix. So again, this is super fascinating how we're approaching this as well from kind of two different angles. Converging on a few points. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think ultimately we think a lot of the same things, and I think we see the world in the same way. Uh, I, I think I often think about things like Marcus Aurelius. So Marcus Aurelius's meditations. He, he wrote them for himself. Never intended for them to be published. It was someone after him that decided to publish them. They like, yeah, bloody hell, these are good, and they published them. <laughs> yeah, but. The reason why it's so good, why Marcus Aurelius's uh, meditations are so good, is because they aren't for anybody else. They were never ever intended. He was never going to hit publish. It was just his learnings and teachings to himself. 
And I always think the best content, be it a tweet, podcast, video, whatever it is, all the best stuff is selfish. Um, and I, 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 I say that to a, to a certain point. I obviously understand that what we're saying right now needs to be somewhat interesting so we are talking about certain things and talking in a particular way to make it interesting to others. But ultimately, the thing that I'm doing right now, having a conversation with you, it is just for me. Other people might be listening now and in the future, but the driver is a selfish driver. And it sounds harsh, but it's how I make the best stuff. And I'd argue if people were willing to admit it, it's how most people make the best stuff as well. Well, I don't ever get the sense in this conversation, I've never gotten the sense that you're trying to force yourself to be interesting or to force yourself to be interested in what I'm saying. And I don't get the sense in the art that you create, in the designs that you produce, that you are trying or you're trying to be a certain person that you're actually not. I don't ever get the sense that you're putting on a facade or you're wearing a mask or you're putting on a no. character. If anything, the character that you're being right now is Craig Burgess, a human being. Somebody said this to me recently and I thought it was uh, a nice compliment, albeit a strange one because <laughs> I guess to some degree, like the character that I'm putting on is, well, what you see only through the lens of what I create. And we'll never ever get the full picture of, well, unless you're like Kim Kardashian and like everything about you is on the internet or whatever. Your whole life is a reality TV show. Like if I'm going to put myself out there on the internet, I'm not going to put the worst parts of my personality online because like why do that? Why spread negativity? So I guess the character that I'm putting on is an intention to bring out the best in me so that I can bring out the best in other people, which is what I think we should all be striving for. Mm. So I never get the sense that you're forcing yourself to be a certain way other than your best Craig Burgess. I don't ever get the sense that you're trying to be smart, capital S to sound like, you know, all these big words or to be some hustler who's grinding. Like you're not a hustle porn person, even though you work your ass off on these things. I get the sense of playfulness and joy yeah. and hard work from what you do. But at the same time, you're not like, oh my God, you're a failure if you're not waking up at five in the morning or you're a failure if you're not doing this and that and being some Dan Locke scammy hustler guy. <laughs> I get this this re realness because you're actually putting in the work and you're working hard to not care about the bogey, bogey, mogey, wogey metrics or whatever that are so sexy because numbers are so sexy to us for some reason. You're just putting in the work and doing it every day. So I admire that. And I think that's, I don't know. I mean, why I had you on the show was because you were doing something very similar to what I'm doing now, which is just creating something every day and not necessarily trying to shove that down people's throats by telling them to create things every day and then not doing it, but you're actually doing it and you're talking through the doing. Yeah, that, that was the, the point that I was making with the Aurelius stuff, that he was setting an example. Um, and he maybe never knew that he was setting an example, 
particularly not in his writing, but obviously he was setting an example as the Roman emperor. He knew he had to set an example there. Uh, I, I always think the, the the best content and the best people to follow are the people who are setting the examples who aren't, and I, I tweeted something like this the other day, who aren't uh, just, just talking about the things that other people are doing. They're actually, everything they say is learnings, basically. Things they've just learned last week about themselves, and then they dress it up as a tweet or as a blog or as a video or as a podcast or whatever. I, I, and, and they're honest about it as well. They're not saying this is the, the correct way to be or that this is the only way to be or whatever. I, uh, I, th- I think those are the, are the best kind of people. But w- when I said I, w- what we're talking about and, and, I, and I'm kind of changing what I'm talking about to make it interesting, there, there is an element of that. I'm not doing it in a fake way, but m- maybe... We, we're doing it because I, we're both aware that we're recording this right now. We're both aware that we're, we're live on Twitter. YouTube stopped working, by the way. Oh, no. <laughs> but I'll sort that out later. But we've, okay. we're, we're both aware of what's required of us right now. We're both aware that we have to have a quote-unquote interesting conversation. So I, I, think, I think there is two levels of it. And it's interesting you mentioned character. Because I, I do, I do think we are all playing a character, to some to some level, uh, and I think how aware of that you are dictates on either how crazy it sends you, or how well you can manage it. Do, do you know what I mean? How well you can manage it. How well you can manage the character that you're putting on online. Is that what you mean? Yeah, we, so so for example, when when I'm talking on a podcast, I talk, uh, I clip my accent a little bit. I'm talking to mm. you right now, and I'm clipping my accent so you can understand it. And I'm making my voice go up and down a little bit to make it more interesting than my maybe more monotone usual voice. Sure. Now, that's a character I'm playing. It's not an inauthentic character, but... To, to aid our communication right now, and you could argue to make this more interesting, there is an element of a character that I'm playing. So I, I don't know if we spoke about authenticity when we spoke on your podcast, but it, it's a thing that rubs me up the wrong way, this, this idea of, of being your authentic self or whatever. I've had lots of conversations with people about it, and I did have a conversation with somebody about it, I can't remember now who, and we settled on this idea that it isn't authentic that we're trying to be. It's consistent. We we portraying a consistent. I'm going to use the word character again because I think it's quite important. I think we we pre- choose to present a consistent character. Mm. The, the way that you're talking to me now is probably not the same way you talk to your girlfriend, and it wouldn't be the same way you spoke to your teachers when you were at school. Not yeah. the, not the same way you speak to your parents either. That we are we all by necessity play a character in many different areas of life that we're in it's just that when we go online and we go on twitter and podcasting and things we have to to some extent present and choose a consistent character that we're going to portray throughout that process 
Well, does anybody have an authentic self? Like you just have to be your authentic self in every interaction with every human being that you have on your show. Well, I found my authentic self. So I'm going to talk the same way in every conversation. Well, that means you're not appreciating the cadence that you brought up earlier, the cadence and the different intricacies of the personality of the person who you're talking to. Well, I've just found my authentic self. So I'm just going to talk like that forever. Well, no, you, you speak differently to everybody. Otherwise, well, that just means you don't really understand social dynamics. Well, it's just my authentic self. Sorry, man. I, I, I don't know. I don't know where, I don't know when the whole myth of the authentic self began. I don't know how it came about. I, I think in the moments when I do this, when I start talking with my hands, doing the Italian thing, I think that's my quote unquote authentic self, whatever the hell that means. Cause I'm like that with my girlfriend, I guess. I mean, I'm not like that. Like, Hey, I'll take a burrito. I don't order a burrito that way. It's just, I get that way when I talk about things that bring out that inflection in my voice. Sometimes talk like that to my parents not all the time. So I don't know where it came from, but it's not something to chase. Just pay attention to the damn person you're talking to and, and just be in the moment as much as you can and go from there. I think, I think. I th I think what's, what's funny about that authentic thing is the example you, you mentioned about being the same in every, in every situation. And when you when you see, it always disappoints me when you when you see maybe the same celebrity across a couple of podcasts, and they tell the same stories on every podcast, and and then you see him on a, a movie, you know, an interview on TV or something, they tell the same stories again. Uh, you, you that's when you know they're playing the character. I think that, that like I said, there's elements of me of a character accent and things like that, but. I'm present in the conversation we're having right now. Uh, it, it's a tough balance. I don't know what the answer is, but it's a well, tough think, balance. Well, there's the notion of character development. Like you work out and you do things that are difficult to develop your character. And that's something that I'm really interested in doing. Becoming just a better human being, developing my character, becoming stronger in the face of, of, of adverse situations and be more mentally tough and be physically tough and kind of develop those qualities. I think that's something really worth chasing to develop your character. But what I don't think is worth putting any energy into because it's so draining long-term is to try to hold this mask over your face with your hand every time you make a public appearance or do a podcast like this. It's counterproductive. It's very draining. What I found is the more I develop uh, my character in the other sense, the character development sense, it's less draining because I'm practicing being present. I'm practicing paying attention to the subtleties of a conversation and making myself more accountable and trying to be more disciplined. Incredibly hard to do and I'm nowhere near as good as I want to be. But I think it's, necess it's a necessity. Otherwise, it just becomes so counterproductive because the mask becomes so heavy after a while. After holding it for like an hour, you want to drop that thing. And then you become afraid of dropping that thing because you're afraid of showing what everybody else will see once you drop that mask. And that's who you are, warts and all. Yeah, I 100% I agree. This was my experience with Twitter when I first started last year in February. I was trying so hard to present this perfect version of myself, which was just basically writing perfect tweets all the time and I only I never wrote about design or, or anything weird or anything I literally just wrote about consistency and 
productivity and blah, 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 blah. Things people wanted to hear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it got hard. After a few months, I'm like, fuck this. I'm not enjoying it. I'm I'm not <laughs> doing this anymore. I'm going to say it the way I want to say it and say other things. Yeah. Uh, fuck this, I'm not enjoying it. Those are my favorite words. Yeah, and, and, and then suddenly I started enjoying it by saying things that I probably shouldn't say on Twitter or at least... <laughs> <laughs> to to grow in the way that you are apparently meant to grow on Twitter, it shouldn't have been the things I was talking about. I opened up everything. I opened up my entire personality. I spoke about everything that I did, and it it, it made it made me much more complete. And I wasn't playing a character anymore. Then it was only the accent thing then that I might clip. But previous to that, I, I was trying to clip whole parts of my personality. And you're right, you can't do it. You can't do it over a long period of time. When you were describing that to me, I was almost getting sad thinking, oh, here's Craig trying to hide who Craig is just (laughs) to get followers, just to craft these perfect tweets. I'm going to set aside my best self and just write what is best for this platform. Are you serving the platform or are you serving people? I was was chasing the metrics. yeah, well, you were chasing the metrics. You were trying to serve the platform, or or maybe like, I don't know, the metrics are obviously people, but but at that moment, it's like, well, do they even know what they want? Maybe they're lost. Do they just think, well, I just want you know all these productivity hacks? Okay, mm. well, sure, maybe people want that, but just because you think you know what you want doesn't mean like that's the best thing for you. Yeah, I I, I became. When I got to this point, I was actually thinking of quitting Twitter. This was probably only four or five months into my journey of taking it seriously. I actually started to sit down and think, what is it the things that I like on Mm. Twitter of users that use Twitter who I think are getting it right? And I looked at them all, and the the thing that was consistent throughout them all, which is why I changed, was – inferring these things rather than explicitly saying them all the time I, I didn't have to talk about productivity and consistency all of the time i lived it every day of my life i could instead just post an image of a design that i'd made that day and then do the same the day after the day after the day after the day after the consistency is then inferred rather than me saying and shoving it down your throat and talking about it all the time uh, and when I worked that out, it, I realized that, yeah, I, I, I didn't have to show myself as being perfect through the tweets that I wrote. I could write whatever I want as long as I just made the things that I did. And I don't know, something about showing, whenever you say things like showing myself to be perfect or when you hear people saying, yeah, I was trying to be perfect, something about it just makes me like s- just sad. Like, oh, oh man, like it's sad that we're trying to be these perfect human beings and it just neglects the, the beautiful nuance of your personality and the things that you're interested in. So I'm glad you snapped out of it, dude. I really am. I'm glad that Craig is still here posting daily visuals every day. Yeah. Even though I don't follow you. I see them. <laughs> I see them. <laughs> dude, you've been mentioned on my show many times since you came on. I mean that people have mentioned wow. you a lot on my show. You've had a positive influence on the people in this community. And I'm really glad that you were able to realize the detrimental harm that comes from trying to be 
Well, I think what you were doing was trying to sacrifice your interests for the sake of a trend, which is something that Benjamin Greenman told me on my show. We sacrifice our interests for the sake of a trend. Well, right now this is popular, therefore I need to talk about it even though I'm not interested in it. But if I do, people will notice, they'll pay attention to me. But I'm not interested in it, but I'm mm. going to talk about it. Trap. Yeah. I was I, I was always interested in, in productivity and I've always been interested in consistency and self-development and things like that. And the things that I did write were genuine and came from from my heart and from my brain and, and they were based on real life experience mm -hmm. but it was the obsession with metrics man because what that ended up meaning is that it, it didn't matter what i was talking about I, I could have been talking about anything anything that i understood as to be true it wouldn't matter because the things the way i was wording it had to be perfect i had to write the perfectly structured tweet and i, I had to make sure I, 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 I phrased it in a certain way for maximum engagement and, and all of those kind of things. So I, I think when you start to go down that route, it, it doesn't matter what you say. It, it's, it's impersonal. You, you, you're framing it. In, the only person I can think of who does this well, who doesn't come across as a wanker when he's doing it, is Jack Butcher. Everybody else who does it on, on, on Twitter and I used to be one of them, you come across as a wanker. And I I was trying to find a way to, to be less wankerish. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to keep saying that word. I was trying to find a, a way to, to, to be, be less of that. So no. I it was very easy for me. It was like a switch. As soon as I did it, because there was, there was spikes of it in some of my tweets that I was writing. Sometimes I was a, a bit edgy with a tweet and... Sometimes I was actually quite funny with some of my other tweets, but I always held it back. And then as soon as I were mm. like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to start saying what I want. That's when I started arguing with Blake email on Twitter all the time. And uh, when I started arguing with a, a couple of other people and pretty much now any reply to any tweet is a shit post. It's pretty, yeah, you're just digging around. Yeah. Uh, it's because people love imperfect people, don't they? The people yeah, dude, I say this all the time. People relate to people. People don't relate to machines. People don't relate to you. I think perfect is harmful. I think people who try to come off as perfect and polished are doing more harm than good because it makes imperfect people, aka everybody, feel bad about their imperfections. Yes. Oh, I'm not as articulate as that guy. Well, yeah, because he trimmed up all the ums and ahs from his YouTube video and he sounds like a robot. Or he spent 14 hours polishing up his face for one damn YouTube video. Because that's like, come on. I look ugly as hell in my videos, dude. I think, <laughs> oh my God, oh, I need to spend more time on my makeup. I don't do my hair or my hair. I just, I, I turn on my camera and like, there I am. And I stutter and I say like too much and I say um and on ah, I know this but I'm not I don't want to make people feel bad about their damn imperfections because we all have them and I think I, I still don't know how to reconcile this because I want to up the production quality of the things I make while still retaining that just because I'm buying better gear I don't want to make people feel bad about who they are 
oh, they're not as productive or creative as I am or whatever. Like if I make a video describing why I blog every day, I want to make sure they get the fact or the point that it's hard to explain because it's so meaningful to me. It's so spiritually and psychologically useful to me why I do it every day. Not because I'm better than you or I'm more articulate or more well-read. I do it because I suck at writing. I want to get better at it. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I, I feel the same. I, I've gone through loads of kit changes and, and trying to make this sound sound better and look better. Um, yeah. I mean, the camera that's on right now is the camera pointing on my face, and it's beautiful, but I'm still ugly sat behind it. So the quality <laughs> of it, really the fidelity of it, is, isn't nothing but a disadvantage to me. So yeah. I, I think... You said you're ugly. I'm not going to call you ugly. But you, I wasn't going to call you ugly either, but you just called yourself ugly. And I was thinking, Craig, you're not ugly. <laughs> you. So it doesn't matter how beautiful the camera gets. So I, yeah, I, I, I think the way I look at it with making the quality of things better is it makes the communication easier. If I, huh. can, if I can make it sound better, why I've got the nice mic, why I'm pumping it through the Roadcaster Pro, if I can make it all sound better, it's more pleasant for a listener they're going to stick around longer. It's a communication device for me. If it's prettier, if the pixels are higher for somebody watching it, it makes it a more pleasant experience for somebody mm. watch, watching or listening to it. I think mm. you can you can up the production value mm. and it it not it not feel uh, too out of reach for some people. Mm. I, I think Joe Rogan, to mention him again, I think he did a good job of that. I think he's done a good job of that over the years. It still feels accessible, even though the the kit he's got is crazy now. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. That you can use it to boost the line of communication and make the the user experience of the content that you put out. That's really good to pay attention to. Because the user experience of the stuff that you put out is also the emotional experience too. If people feel bad about themselves while watching my content, I don't want that. I don't want them to feel bad about who they are or think that what I'm doing is so out of reach for them. Mm. And I guess when you're standing on the shoulders of giants, I I don't mean myself, I mean the people that I look up to, uh, Seth Godin being one of them. I think he's incredibly articulate. I not even think he is incredibly articulate that it's distracting, <laughs> that it's, that it's, he never repeats himself. <laughs> He's so perfect in his damn speech. It makes me almost ashamed for having a voice, but I, I don't feel bad about who I am because I know that he's put in 30 years of work talking of yeah. speaking and writing. So I don't feel bad about myself in that way, but I, I also don't want people to feel bad about who they are just because they see me at step I don't know, 10 out of a hundred billion and they're at like step one. Well, I'm just at step 10 and steps two through nine exist and you can get through those steps. I got through those steps too. I, I talk about it a lot. It's the thing that people get at, that people ask me on podcasts all the time about the, the quality versus quantity thing and, and, and purposefully making bad things. And another Twitter beef that I've got with somebody else he, he's always he's talking about that I put loads of effort in to produce shit stuff. And th- that's, that is, he's joking. Maybe, sure. he's, maybe he's joking. He's not joking most of the time. The majority of it is shit. But that's the, that is exactly the 
point and I'm banging on the desk and it's going to come through on the mic. That is exactly the point that you do lots of bad things for the opportunity to create one good thing every now and again. That is the entire point because the good thing doesn't matter. The metrics don't matter. It's the process. It's the fact that you're making something every every single yeah. day. How long does it take you to do a, a standard visual these days? Uh, about 10, 15 minutes, sometimes. Quicker. How long did it take you to be able to do that? Uh, 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, because you were, you were chasing that skill. Maybe not directly, but you knew that over time you're going to get yes. really good at this. It, so we need to know what we're after. Are we after this? Are we after things that can't be seen? Like Twitter doesn't give us this list of skills to develop. It only gives us metrics, right? Oh, okay, I'll just go after the metrics. No, pick some skills you want to get really good at. This is just life in general. Twitter metrics are just Twitter metrics. They just exist as this thing on a piece of software. Mm -hmm. What you and I are doing is we're deciding what do we want to get better at? Design, writing, talking, conversations, podcasting. Okay, let's focus on that. Get really good at that. And people will see it. It's going to suck 99% of the time, but we're going to get better at it. Yeah, I, it, it, it was intentional for me from the very first year of being a designer. Um, I did a, my first a day, a thing every day for 365 days challenge to get better at design. It was yeah. the only, I, I did it as an experiment. It turned out to be a good one. And then I repeated the process over and over and over. I've been thankful to do the same thing over and over and over. And now it means that 15 years later as a designer, I you could literally give me some keywords and I could design it in my head right now. And it'd take me minutes to design it on a computer screen. That, that's not accidental and the only way you develop those skills is by practicing practicing a lot and that's to come back to the earlier point that's the bit that people miss when they see the you making daily blogs or reading jack butcher's tweets or reading a tweet about making a dollar online the yeah. the dollar that you made online didn't come from just following Jack Butcher's advice. It didn't come from just a couple of months of effort. It came from your cumulative knowledge of everything that you've learned over time. Things that you might not have even remembered you learned. They've all been formative experiences that ultimately led you to the point of where it's at. They look at Jack Butcher making a million dollars last year. He's been a designer for 10 years. He's been learning yeah. the skills for 10 years. It isn't a million dollars in a year it's a million dollars in 10 years which is still impressive yes 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 but yes. yeah people look at it the wrong way around yeah because you see oh this person signed up for twitter in 2019 he has 10,000 followers the end no hmm. there's a story that you're not seeing i always i always joke it, it's taken me 12 years to get 4,000 followers on twitter because that that's the that's the truth of it. I've been on it for twelve years, uh, and ev every tweet I've written, most of them very very bad. Yeah, well, you were working at this stuff before we came here, before not Twitter itself, but before this section of Twitter, this creativity Twitter, even existed. You were putting in the work long before we were all here doing what we're doing now. So yeah, it is a trap to think, oh, well, this person's been on Twitter since 2020, has a bajillion followers, that's the end of the story. No, it's not. He was putting in work 
way before these fake incentives of metrics were, were even here. How do you avoid the metrics, though? Do you just tape a, some duct tape over your monitor every time you go on Twitter and you don't see the follower count? Can you disable it? I think you can disable the visibility of your followers. I would love if that was an option. I, honestly, honestly I, I really just don't pay attention to them anymore. I, I, I see the follower count. Sure. Uh, the the follower count is a nice thing to notice it going in, in a positive direction and i get a daily email from hype fury that tells me how many followers i've had that day it's usually like one or two or something like that sure. um, but on the individual tweet i never look at the retweets i never i, I look but i don't pay attention to them i i, I look at one sometimes oh that got 20 likes that's nice but i don't because of the things I said earlier, I, I don't pay attention to what's done well, so it doesn't taint my future content that I'm going to write. It doesn't taint the tweets I'm going to write today. It doesn't taint the things that I've already written before. But th there's many reasons to do that. The, the other reason is that Twitter's fickle, and something that didn't do well a, a month ago might do well today. I could tweet the same thing five days in a row, and they'd all do different levels. Um, but but ultimately, I, I, yeah, I just don't pay attention to them. Um, but that's that's only come from paying attention to them way too much. You know, like pathologically paying attention to them. It is pathologically because this is what humans do. They see a number and they say, "Well, how can we increase the number?" So many of my favorite creators, I talk about them all the time. John Dobb, the creator of uh, Only in Japan, he's out there making videos every. He has one every month, but I know there's so much work involved in the videos he makes. He's just out there recording videos in Japan, calling up these restaurants, booking appointments with these places that he wants to document through his videos, taking all that camera equipment out into the field, setting up the camera, calling up his friends to help him with videos, communicating with his community, doing all this work because he loves Japan. At this point, I've talked about him so much, but I, I still want people to realize that you got to love the thing you create around. And does anybody love Twitter metrics that much? Like, I can't imagine that's, how can you seriously love a number on a on a damn app that, I mean, I guess you've, maybe you've been Pavlovianly uh, brainwashed into thinking that it's it's worth increasing, but all right. I mean, if that's your thing, so be it, but I don't like it. I, I think got, there's, there's far more beautiful things out there. Yeah. I got asked an interesting question from when, when Christian Jenko was on the podcast a while back. Uh, and we got talking about this daily production thing and why, why I did it. And, and I said, uh, I've just got a masochist mindset and I, I don't often enjoy what I do. But you do a daily thing as well. You do the daily blog and, and, and things like that. And I wonder how you'd answer what Christian asked me. Because what Christian said is that if he doesn't enjoy something, he stops it. So if, if if he doesn't enjoy writing a blog post that day, he stops. But if you've decided to make something every day, a lot of those days you aren't going to enjoy making the thing. Sometimes you've got to force yourself to make the thing. How How do you get over that? How do you still decide to write and publish when you aren't enjoying writing and publishing that day? 
because it makes me better at writing, because I want to get better at communicating, because I see so much value in being articulate in writing and communicating. And there's things I want to become better at. And I want to get as far away as possible from that aimlessness that I had in my life. I know what I'm running away from. And I know to some extent what I'm running or attempting to run towards, which is just a better, more, I don't know, competent version of myself. I don't ever write when I'm in, when you write every day, there's going to be days when you're inspired. And there's going to be a lot of days when you're not inspired, when you have to force the words out of you onto the page or come up with something to think about today because you've got 18 hours to go. So I've already made the commitment to get better at writing and speaking and read all the books that I want to read because I want to improve in that way. And we, I don't want to ever want to say this coming across as like, oh, I'm better than other people because, you know, I want to improve. Again, I want to improve because I'm not good yet. I don't know if I'll ever be as good as I want to be yet. I don't really hope that ever happens because then I have to come, you know, you have to come up with a new goal. So that's how I, that's how I handle it. I want to get better. I want to improve every day. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Go on. No, no. I'll bookend that there. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Does does that, does that answer the question? You know, I want to, I just want to get better at it. Like, yeah, I, I enjoy it some days. I don't enjoy it some other days, but I've already made that commitment. I want to get better. It, yeah, it, it answers it answers it for me because I I think exactly the same way as you. But it, it was interesting when he asked it because uh Chris Christian's been successful in mm. in his entire life. Uh and he found it so alien that I, I was sat there saying I the reason I do it is because I don't enjoy it. Some some days I don't enjoy it, and that's why I do it because like, do what you love, right? Yeah, uh, and I, I the discomfort is is just as much part of the comfort uh, as the comfort is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Who's comfortable working out? Yeah, uh, and he he didn't get it. No, no, no discredit to him whatsoever. Christian's awesome, sure. but sure. it it just wasn't his worldview at all, and I found it so fascinating that it is fascinating. Well, it is kind of paradoxical. We've got this narrative of do what you love, right? Well, I'm not comfortable in the same way that I'm comfortable when I'm laying in bed at like eight in the morning and I should have gotten up two hours ago, like all the blankets are over me and it's raining outside and hot cocoa sounds delicious. I'm not like that comfortable, but I'm comfortable knowing that I'm getting better. You got to be comfortable with tension. Yeah. I'm comfortable. I want to get better at becoming comfortable with tension. Okay, there's going to be tension to this. It's going to be hard. It's going to make you better, anti-fragile, whatever you want to call it. That intrigues the hell out of me. Tension is a good way of putting it because I I know right now it's it's 20 to 9 p.m. My girlfriend wants me to stop the podcast because she wants to go out. Uh, I know. Well, I'll shut up then. That's much more important than talking to some Uh, some schmuck from San Diego. She she can forget (laughs) it. Um. And the point I'm making is that I, I've got other things to do. I, I still need to write my daily essay today, my daily ship 30 for 30 essay. Oh my God, you've I, got like four hours. I, st- I, st- I still need to do my visual. I still need to do a bunch of other things. still need to put a podcast out, the Tom Hurst podcast episode. I've got loads of stuff to do. Uh, and and I and I thrive on that, knowing that I've got the things to do in the day, that the, these points 
in the day, like almost book bookends, not really bookends because there's multiple ones, but the, there's these targets in the day that it doesn't matter what else is going on in the day. I've always got something to aim for throughout that day. Mm. It, it doesn't even matter that I I don't want to do it. It isn't a choice to, to me anyway. It isn't a choice. I've, I've made the commitment to do it and I do it. Uh, and, and that makes me better in many ways discipline productivity energy blah 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 all those things and then obviously it makes you better at your craft too um but if i was to approach it the other way of where i only did the things that i wanted to do I, man i'd never get anything done i literally i'd never get anything done me too oh my god all i would do is eat dark chocolate and drink dark coffee all day i, I, I know my vices yeah and I, I think in, in some ways Christian is more disciplined than you or I because he, he doesn't need the rigorous routine to force himself to do something. But I do. It's the only way, it's the only way I know how, how to do it. If I did it any other way, I'd do nothing. I'd be playing video games all day long. Who is this again that you're referring to? Uh, Christian Jenko is, is a guy, he's a developer. I, I had him on a web developer. Okay. I had him on one of the other podcasts. Uh, sold a successful business. Um, made a ton of money selling it. Uh, and he, he mainly follows his passions now. Mm. Um, mm. So, so That is interesting. Yeah, I would love to hear more of his, his story. I'll have to check out your episode because, yeah, I am intrigued by that as well. That kind of, that that discipline, but it's kind of a different discipline than what you and I are talking about. Yeah. He, he knows somehow when he's got a good idea that he wants to focus on mm. uh, uh, and and he focuses on it. But, you know, you know he, he's a developer, he's a programmer, he's an engineer. Sure. These, these kind of people do exactly the same thing as what we're talking about. He'll work 12, 15 hour days to get things done because he wants to do it. So whilst his attitude of this rigorous schedule that we're talking about he, it, it grates on him. He He's actually already doing the same thing. He, he, like we've been talking about, he, he fully understands the way that we look at the world. He just doesn't do it mm. that way, but he does do it that way. But just it, his incentives are different, but he's still doing it. Yeah. Well, he, he enjoys the things. Well, he enjoys the, the tension of programming. Would that be correct? Or developing mm. and developing companies and the systems of companies so when you brought up the thing about forcing yourself to keep writing or, or a different kind of tension in a different medium, she said like that was completely different to him. Huh? Yeah. yeah I'll but, have to go and listen to that episode to get to kind of the full picture. That's interesting. Yeah. He, he was presenting him himself in a way that a lot of people think of themselves, that they're very undisciplined, that they can't stick to anything the the idea of doing something every day is just ridiculous and just masochistic but he's actually achieved a lot in his life and he clearly doesn't see it that way but a lot huh. of people a lot of people do 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 see it that way people see me like as a superhero because i can make a thing every day that means nothing <laughs> and and i get the question so much how do you do so much stuff right i uh, you don't know how to answer it. <laughs> well, yeah, like we said when we, we had the podcast, it, it's just a thing that I do, and it's the same thing that you do. 
It's, it's just a way of life. It, it isn't. Well, Massa- yeah, um, Ma- masochistic or not, I, I get I get the, the the joke there. That's I, I agree because we force ourselves to kind of do these things that are that are full of tension. Maybe it's like we get kind of. I don't know. It's just maybe it's like how we look at ourselves. Like, oh, this is quote unquote masochistic. It's kind of funny because we're forcing ourselves to do things that are painful, but at the same time, we enjoy doing them and they lead us to great opportunities, like to do this podcast. And I'm sure like a lot of programmers would kind of see it that way. Yeah, you know, I'm a masochist. I just force myself to code all day and uh, I got to compile this thing and it never works. And I misplace one bracket, the whole fucking thing breaks, that kind of thing. Uh, maybe it's person dependent, depends on how they look at each other or look at themselves. It's, I, I mentioned in the in the podcast, it's self-flagellation, isn't it? It's almost uh, religious to to some extent, the, the, the way that I and you approach these things, that it's, you do it every day regardless, and it's the kind of thing that I would have shunned massively when I was a teenager. <laughs> There's just like no way I'd, I would have ever done anything like this, and, and now I'm the complete opposite way around it. I, I need I need the routine more than the routine needs me. How do you get the ball rolling every day? Uh, good question. I I d I don't know. It it isn't an option. It's gonna get done. I, I, I get sick of saying it. It's just gonna get done and there isn't a choice. <laughs> uh it, it's just there. It's there in the back of my mind. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. It's gonna be done because I've said it's gonna be done. And and if I don't, if I don't do it that day, I've broke the chain for for no reason. Um, it's the thing I look forward to throughout the entire day. So it, the majority of the time, it's not a difficulty. And even when it is a difficulty to come up with an idea, that in itself is an enjoyable experience. So it isn't like uh, like I said. Uh, when I was talking to Jenko, it isn't like I'm consistently doing something I don't enjoy. I'd stop if I was doing something I don't enjoy consistently. Mm. It's yeah. it's just that sometimes little bits of it in the moment aren't that enjoyable, but the majority of the whole process, the whole reason it's been done is because I enjoy it. You know, how do I get mm. it done every day? It just is on my list, it's seared into my brain, therefore it gets done, that's it. Is that discipline? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Is it is it still discipline if it's intrinsically meaningful to you? Do you feel like you're disciplining yourself in the Jocko Willink sense, like chaining your hands down to your chair and kind of forcing yourself to sit there? Well, yeah, no. I don't know. I just go and do it because I enjoy the tension and I get that from you as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I say it all the time. It's just not a choice. It just gets not a choice. That's how I would answer it as well. It's just not a choice. I've already made the commitment to myself. I'm not going to eat the cookies from the cookie jar until I get all this stuff done. Usually not all the time, but it doesn't always happen that way. It, yeah, maybe the question. Well, it's like you you go to somebody who's super passionate about basketball. It's like, how can you play basketball all day? Why even ask the question? This person just loves basketball. It's like, why do you love this person? Well, I don't know. 
I, I love them. They're great. They're great people. That's I love this person. Lot. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with them. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with these hobbies, these skills, these interests. We spend, we get into these commitments with people in our lives. We have marriages with people. We should have marriages with skills, marriages with, with processes and, <laughs> and goals, marriage, marry yourself to a goal, something like that. I, yeah, I, lo- I love that. We should marry marry ourselves to a skill. Yeah, yeah, then the question of why do it every day just like becomes a silly question almost. Well, you try not doing something that you you kind of hate and love at the same time. I mean, if you're in a relationship with somebody, you fully accept that person for who they are. And it's not like every single day you're going to be smiling 24-7. They're going to do things that annoy you. Clearly, your goals, your your passions are going to annoy you sometimes. Like I'll render a video and it crashes, <laughs> or I'll write something I don't know what to say. I don't enjoy every second of the process, like we've talked about before. So, this notion of loving what you do comes with accepting all the parts that aren't going to be fun that's all what, the time. That's what it is. It's who it's who you are. That's why you do it. Uh, I lift weights because I am a weightlifter. I hmm. make design stuff because I'm a designer and they're all parts of my identity. And if I was to not do the thing anymore, I wouldn't be the part, I wouldn't be that part of me anymore. So I have to make design work because I'm a designer. I have to record a podcast because I'm a podcaster. I have to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's because it's who we are that that's why we do it. It's just like asking somebody, well, why, why, why do you believe in God? You know, well, it, why why <laughs> you know it's just it's just what i believe and it's the it's the same sure. thing i i yeah. for me to stop making something daily it, it would be giving up on a part of my personality that has been seared almost onto my forehead it's got designer podcaster daily guy consistency guy and they're, they're, they're like seared onto my forehead. You need a big forehead to fit all those up there. I, I've got a big forehead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's like, you know, you don't go up to an elementary school teacher and say, why do you teach every day? Well, God, if I don't, I won't get paid. <laughs> it's like, it's what I do. You are what you do, You right? I'm sure some dead philosopher said that at one point. You are what you repeatedly do, Aristotle or something. I don't know. Yeah, It's true. You are what you repeatedly do. If, once you stop doing that, you're no longer that person. You're somebody else. You're somebody who doesn't do that thing anymore. And you want to, well, I want to keep being the person who does stuff I do. It's who I am. I think that's a perfect place to leave it before my girlfriend shouts at me and comes and barges in. Fantastic. I would hate to be the uh, the thing that disrupts quality time. Craig, it's been real. Yeah, it's it's been awesome. Do you want to leave any part in wisdom? You've got about 30 seconds. 30 seconds to leave parting wisdom. Okay, well, didn't we just do that for two hours? I just left all the wisdom I know in the last two hours. Yeah, fine, you know, make it fun. Make it, make it fun, enjoy the process. Follow your bliss means to follow the things that are gonna hurt you and you gotta embrace the pain and find people who disagree with you. Disagreements are beautiful. Seek people who oppose your viewpoints. Get strong, get better, do something meaningful every day. If you're sitting in darkness, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. That's it. That's my 30 seconds of, of, of uh, unwarranted, Perfect. unsolicited wisdom. Perfect. Almost bang on. Thanks so much, man. We'll chat Craig, thank you so much for having me. I had a wonderful talk.